0: This is guns and butter.
1: Uh, suppose a country owes money to another country how can you collect unless there's an international court and an enforcement system the imf and the world bank were part of that enforcement system and now they're saying no we're not going to be part of that anymore we're only working uh, for the u.s state department and pentagon and the uh, the pentagon uh, tells uh the imf it's okay they don't have to pay russia or china then uh, they don't have to pay so uh, all of a sudden uh, that's broken up what what seemed to be a global order uh, that was created after World War II. That's all been changed now. The world is being split into two halves, uh, the U.S. orbit and countries that the U.S. cannot control and whose uh, officials are not on the U.S. payroll, so to speak.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, the new global financial cold war. Dr. Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend, a Wall Street financial analyst, and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri-Kansas City. His 1972 book, Super-Imperialism, The Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. His latest book is Killing the Host, how Financial Parasites and Debt Destroy the Global Economy. Today we discuss his article, The IMF Changes Its Rules to Isolate China and Russia. Michael Hudson, welcome. It's, it's been far too long since we've last spoken.
1: Well, it's uh, good to be back. Uh, last time we were together was in Italy.
0: That's right, Rimini, Italy. What year was that? It What's must Harry- have been
1: four years ago, because I uh, we were there with Stephanie Kelton uh, from UMKC, who's uh, now uh, Bernie Sanders appointed her head of the Senate uh, uh, Finance Committee uh, for the Democratic Party, and uh, Bill Black of UMKC was also there. And I used uh, some of my Uh, lectures there in the book, uh, Finance, Capitalism, and Its Discontents. And that was published a few years ago. So uh, lost in the mists of time.
0: Well, Michael, uh, I produced actually seven shows from the presentations in Remini on uh, modern money theory with you, with Marshall Auerbach, uh William K. Black, Stephanie Kelton, and they were uh blockbuster shows I must say
1: that's great that's great. That was a wonderful presentation and uh when we walked in it was uh it was in this big soccer uh auditorium, and uh we felt like we were the Beatles uh walking <laughs> down uh, the middle. People were cheering us and calling out our names and uh it was as if we were basketball players.
0: Well, the Italians turned out to be so warm and so enthusiastic for an alternative economic theory. I was amazed, too.
1: And people came there from Spain and from uh, all over. Uh, So that was one of the best uh, presentations any of us had ever been at.
0: Yeah, I'm so, so happy I was able to be there. That is a, a conference to remember, for sure. Well, I've been reading your article, The IMF Changes Its Rules to Isolate China and Russia. It rings an alarming bell about the implications of rule changes at the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, which makes loans to governments. Before we discuss these IMF rule changes specifically, what precipitated these drastic policy shifts at the IMF?
1: Well, the policy shifts uh, are a number. Uh, The first policy shift was uh, that in the past the IMF uh, has not made loans to countries that are in default uh, to governments. Uh, That's because in the past the government in question was the U.S. government. And uh, since World War II, almost all of the international financial bailout loans Stabilization loans or currency loans by the IMF and World Bank has, uh, involved the U.S. government in conjunction with a lot of U.S. banks. Well, for the first time, now that China uh, and the, its associated uh, group, the BRICS, are growing, uh, countries are borrowing not only from the United States uh, and subject to U.S. Uh, lobbying forces, uh, but they're all, they're, they can now borrow from China and other countries. So the United States uh, has basically changed the IMF rules and said, wait a minute, uh, it's okay for the IMF to make loans the countries that don't pay uh, China and Russia or the BRICS, because we're in a new Cold War. Uh, the IMF really is working for us. And uh, as long as the U.S. has a veto power in the IMF, uh, its delegate there can veto uh, any loan uh, to a country that owes money to the United States that the United States doesn't wish to support. But uh, it. Has no objection at all for the U.S. making loans to U.S. satellites uh, such as Ukraine uh, that owe money to to Russia. So the aim of the uh, change was that uh, Ukraine last uh, December uh, owed three billion dollars to Russia on a loan that was uh, coming due uh from the Russian state investment fund and uh the United States is doing everything it can uh, to hurt Russia economically thinking that if it hurts it enough somehow Russia will capitulate to the uh US strategy and the new cold war strategy is basically an attempt to force other countries to privatize their economy to follow neoliberal policies uh and essentially to open their economies to US uh corporations and US uh banks and uh the imf uh, rules change was to mobilize the imf basically as an agent of the u.s. defense department uh... with a small uh, side office in wall street and uh, uh, all of a sudden it's become very clear that the imf is not an international institution uh for global economic performance. It's uh, an arm of uh, U.S. uh, Cold War diplomacy that's moving very far to the right very quickly under the Obama administration.
0: We now have the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the SCO, as an alternative military alliance to NATO, and the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, the AIIB, uh, which threatens to replace the IMF and World Bank. How successful do you think these new alternatives to the Western banking system will be?
1: Well, the big point is that the uh, Western banking system, the World Bank and the IMF, are completely unsuccessful. The IMF has followed a kind of junk economics that says uh, if uh, you owe money to a foreign uh, bondholders or banks, uh, the solution is uh, you have to impose austerity on the country. Austerity will enable you to squeeze enough tax money out of your domestic economy to pay foreigners. Uh, This is the same theory that uh, the uh, British and the Americans and the uh, French used uh, in the 1920s to insist that Germany could pay any amount of reparations if it only would tax the economy enough. Uh, This theory was uh, completely shown to be false by John Maynard Keynes, uh, and also by the American Harold Moulton at the uh, Brookings Institution. And all of the lessons of the 1920s uh, were sort of rejected by the IMF, because uh, they know very well, and the staff has made it very clear, that austerity doesn't enable country to pay the debts. Austerity makes countries even less able to pay the debts. And uh, that means that they need to borrow even more. And then the IMF comes in with the number two punch. Uh, the number one punch is uh, austerity. The number two punch is say, well, I guess our program didn't work. What a surprise. Uh, 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 you now have to begin uh, privatizing your uh, industry and your natural resources sell off your land, and uh, they tell other countries essentially what they told Greece over the last year. Uh, Greece is sort of the test case uh, when the austerity plan of the IMF loans from 2010 uh, and uh, thereafter didn't help Greece. Uh, they're forcing Greece to sell off its islands, sell off its ports, uh, sell off its water systems, uh, sell off uh, everything it has. Uh, the IMF had to wait until it made that demand, and once uh, the demand had already made on uh, Greece in the summer, then it came uh, to Ukraine. So uh, the number one punch against the Ukraine by the IMF was to impose austerity on the pretense. Uh, of course, it's chunk economics, but the pretense that uh, Ukraine could then uh, pay the foreign banks. Uh, but when this made things worse, uh, then you have uh, the World Bank and the USAID come in, uh, and the U.S. appointed a finance minister there, whose job was to point out: here's the uh, agricultural land, the gas rights, uh, the other uh, public enterprises and natural uh, resources that uh, that Ukraine can sell off to American investors. Well, the idea is that uh, if American investors can buy all of the key infrastructure and the commanding heights of uh, the Ukrainian economy, that uh, it can pry Ukraine apart from Russia. And Ukraine was basically uh, a key of the Russian economy, to the point where uh, much of the Russian uh, military and uh, space uh, exploration industrial output was produced actually in the donbass region uh... in eastern ukraine and so the idea was that by separating ukraine from russia this can be the first step in trying to carve up russia carve up china and break them into little pieces essentially uh... to try to turn china and russia into the East and to treat them like uh, we've treated libya and iraq and afghanistan and uh... Uh, Syria, uh, smash them up, uh, a smash-and-grab exercise, and take their natural resources and uh, whatever.
0: What is the aim of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Treaty, and how is it at odds with the Asian Infrastructure Bank, the AIIB?
1: Well, I could give a glib answer and say the aim is to uh, reduce the population by 50%, uh, to starve uh, people, to abolish pensions, and to uh, spread poverty. Uh, That actually is the effect. Uh, The cover story is uh, not really trade at all. The cover story is to force uh, privatization to reverse uh, what was central to the whole progressive era. Uh, for the last 300 years, uh, the assumption of Europe and North America was that uh, you were going to have a mixed economy with the government uh, investing in infrastructure, in roads, in transportation, communications, water and sewer energy uh... and uh... that uh, the job of the government uh... infrastructure was to provide these basic needs at minimum cost in order to make a low-cost competitive economy that's how america uh... got rich uh, that's how germany industrialized it's uh, how europe uh, uh... did the aim of the trans-pacific partnership is essentially to dissolve uh, governments and to say uh, the entire economy uh... should be owned and operated by uh, private uh, owners, private enterprise, uh, uh, for short-term profits. Uh, There are a number of aims. One is to nullify any uh, domestic uh, environmental protection uh, that costs money, to nullify any domestic protection of labor, to nullify any domestic uh, attempt to tax uh, natural resources or to tax economic rent. And uh, the idea is to turn the roads and the transport system into toll roads uh, that will be owned by foreigners uh, and uh, run at a high charge, to turn the Internet, to turn the water system into uh, toll systems, to charge uh, for water, to charge for basic needs, and all of a sudden to uh, impose really what is very much a neo-feudalism uh, rentier economy uh, throughout the world of uh, taking over uh, the, uh, the government sector essentially by the finance, industrial, and real estate sector, the fire sector. So you could say the idea is to roll back the Enlightenment and restore feudalism. That sounds like an extreme statement, but uh, uh, people don't realize how radical the uh, investment agreements are on here. Any country that will try to, for instance, uh, when Australia find uh, Philip Morris... Uh, by raising the uh, charges on cigarettes Philip Morris sued uh, Australia so Australia, the government has to pay Philip Morris the amount of money that Philip Morris would have made if people would have continued to smoke and get cancer at the existing rate when Ecuador tried to sue uh, oil companies for pollution, uh, the oil company sued and uh, the country has to pay the oil company the amount of profit it would make if it continued to produce oil by polluting uh, the land uh, to an infinite uh, degree. Uh, no government anywhere in the world that signs this will be free to regulate the environment, to tax uh, private enterprise, and essentially uh, the uh, new uh, buyers of uh, the roads, the water systems, the sewer systems, can use these as rent extraction opportunities. That means uh, they can uh, somehow uh, charge whatever the market will bear and treat uh, foreign countries sort of like uh, New York City uh, cable uh, customers uh, are treated. We have uh, one supplier. uh, I live in uh, Forest Hills in Queens. We have one supplier, Time Warner Cable. If I want cable, I have to pay uh, what they charge, and it has nothing to do at all with the cost of uh, production. Uh, That's what economic rent is. It's a revenue above the cost of production. And uh, for hundreds of years, the economics of Adam Smith, Ricardo, John Stuart Mill, Thorstein Veblen, were all about uh, how to uh, create an economy that would produce everything at would cost without any free lunch, without any kind of uh, uh, unearned income. Well, the aim of the Trans-Pacific Partnership and the European version is uh, to realize that, wait a minute, the economy is all about unearned income. We want to be able to get economic rent, so essentially, the rentier's uh, interests have backed the kind of junk economics that has fought back against classical economics, against the progressive era, and against social democracy to create uh, a very uh, right-wing uh, government uh, that they call free trade in a kind of Orwellian doublethink.
0: I'm speaking with financial economist and historian, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, the new global financial cold war. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, have these uh, rulings by the World Trade Organization against these countries you mentioned, uh, Australia was one, have these been enforced?
1: I don't know the details. I think, for one thing, the first process of enforcement is to spend up to $100 million in legal fees. Uh, It's almost impossible for a poor government like, say, Ecuador, uh, or even Australia to spend the legal fees that it costs to defend. Secondly, the decisions are made outside of government. They're made by uh, the decisions as to how much uh, governments have to pay corporations that uh, are regulated as compensation damages are made by uh, a a small group of referees uh, that are sort of a revolving door uh, between acting as referees and working as lobbyists uh, for these uh, corporations. So uh, I believe uh, they were enforced in Australia. I don't know uh, any of the uh, specific uh, day-to-day details.
0: China accelerated its creation of the alternative China International Payments System, CIPS, and its own credit card system. What is the swift Interbank clearing system, and is the new Chinese payment system a threat to it?
1: Well, the SWIFT system uh, is like when you write checks on a. A checking account. Uh, all the banks have a clearing system, uh, and if you can imagine, it's a, a huge uh, computer software program that enables uh, you to take a check from one bank and write it to somebody else, and the money's cleared into another bank. It's a check uh, clearing system. Now, about a year ago, the United States said, well, uh, now that we're going to war with Russia, and it may very quickly be a military war, uh, we can uh, uh, hurt the Russian economy, but we don't have to send troops in. We don't have to invest now, that's a uh, past war. No country is going to invade another country with troops again. But they said, we can hold the Russian or any other economy hostage by all of a sudden excluding it from the swift, payments clearing system so that all of a sudden uh... if uh, their banks uh... and individuals and corporations can't uh... clear any money and if they're paralyzed uh... then we've uh, smashed their economy well uh, as soon as the americans threatened to do this uh... china and russia said wait a minute we don't want any other country especially one that says they want to go to war with us and uh... obama and uh... uh hillary clinton have already uh... uh made threats of uh, military war against russia uh... Uh, They say, look, we'd like to be part of a global uh, uh, unit, but as long as the United States is running it for its own interest uh, and is acting in a hostile way, we've got to protect our own bank clearing system. So China took uh, the lead in creating uh, its own bank clearing system so that people and companies uh, and government uh, organizations in China and the other BRICS countries won't have to be hostage to the United States, saying, aha, we can do with a." Computer program. What we did to uh, the Iranian centrifuges, just like we uh, blew up the Iranian centrifuges by coming into their computer program and screwing them up, uh, we can do that with Swift. Well, uh, China and the BRICS have moved to defend themselves against this.
0: Well, now, has this uh, China international payment system uh, has this been implemented yet, or is it still uh, being planned?
1: i think i think they're still in the process of developing it because it's awfully hard to develop a system like this that's why there's an inertia for these things uh... and the inertia is you build on the existing uh... clearing systems and it, it uh, takes a lot of time to develop something uh... like microsoft that's why uh... when mac uh, computers Uh, which people like to buy, uh, were developed, they're still using a Windows program. And I have a Mac computer that uses Windows because it's so complex and takes so many billions of dollars to write a program that doesn't have glitches in it. Uh, And I think the Chinese um, are still trying to uh, work out uh, uh, the glitches because they don't expect uh, overt warfare quite yet.
0: Russian Prime Minister Putin proposed a partnership, or at least cooperation, between the West and the emerging military and economic partnerships in the East. Putin's overture to the West seems to have fallen on deaf ears. Why do you think?
1: Well, this is the same idea that has been made since the 1990s, even before uh, Putin came in uh, to power. Uh, the idea was that, well, Russia's willing to uh, join NATO. Uh, the point was that uh, Russia was under the belief that uh, atomic war between uh, the industrial nations uh, of the world is now out of the question. They do face. Uh, a common uh, threat, and that is uh, Wahhabi Islam uh, funded by Saudi Arabia, the uh, uh, Wahhabi terrorism. Uh, Russia is concerned about uh, the Saudi-backed terrorists on its uh, southern front, from uh, uh, Georgia, uh, Azerbaijan, uh, all the way through uh, Central Asia. And uh, uh, the Chinese also are concerned about uh, Uh, Wahhabi uh, uh, terrorism through the Uyghurs, and the United States, wait a minute, Wahhabi's the American Foreign Legion. Uh, ISIS is the American Foreign Legion. Uh, When uh, Hillary Clinton uh, overthrew the Libyan government, uh, the arms were turned over to ISIS. The military stockpiles were turned over to ISIS. The uh, central bank uh, resources were robbed and turned over to ISIS. Uh, When America marched into Iraq, it turned over essentially the entire uh, uh, the Sunni uh, army and the armed forces and all those billions of dollars of shrink-wrapped hundred-dollar bills over to ISIS. Uh, so basically, although America nominally pretends uh, to oppose ISIS, when the, uh, certainly it has to, when they uh, kill Americans, uh, basically ISIS is uh, uh, America's way of breaking up countries that uh, decide that may threaten not to be part of the uh, international dollar uh, standard. And uh, Russia had hoped that somehow uh, the United States would see that this is a crazy uh, system, that uh, America and Russia and uh, Europe uh, can all get rich in mutual trade, and that if uh, the textbook theories were right, if Europe, for instance were to uh, pursue its economic interest, it would see that uh, it was a natural trading partner uh, of Russia, uh, that Europeans and probably Americans would go to Russia and try to uh, build up the economy, Could, because they certainly need entrepreneurs there. They certainly need uh, a build-up. Uh, and instead of pursuing a mutual prosperity uh, sphere between Europe, Russia, and the United States, uh, the United States has pressed Europe into a dead zone uh, of uh, neoliberal austerity uh, that is just uh, shrinking the economy and uh, carving it off uh, to prevent any kind of prosperity for Europe, if this prosperity would also uh, result in uh, welfare for Russia uh, or China. So uh, the idea from the American side is, well, we'll treat Russia like we treated Cuba and uh, like we treated Iran and uh, Libya, and isolate them, and uh, they'll knuckle under. But instead, uh, obviously, Russia's much bigger than uh, Cuba or North Korea, and China's much bigger. And instead of uh, uh, just surrendering to the American neoliberal economic plan, uh, they've decided uh, America's driven them together uh, just out of. Uh, purely defensive alignment, and uh, America's brought about precisely the Eurasian unity that it uh, set out to try to prevent.
0: Yes, I believe in your paper at one point you described some of the IMF members as wearing suicide vests. I thought that was a pretty good description.
1: Well, yeah, it's like the United States walked into the IMF meeting with a suicide vest and said... uh, We want the IMF to only serve U.S. interests, uh, not uh, international interests. So the IMF, as an ostensibly honest broker to help countries stabilize, uh, that's broken now. And uh, if you look, there are a whole series of rules uh, that have been radically changed. For instance, uh, I mentioned before uh, not to lend to a country that... uh, uh, owes money to a government, uh, that wasn't really in the IMF Articles of Agreement. But what was in the uh, IMF Articles was uh, you're not supposed to lend to a country that has no visible means of paying back the loan. Uh, that was called the No More Argentinas Rule that was passed in uh, 2001 after the IMF uh, lent Argentina money to pay its bondholders. But Argentina had no way at all of repaying the IMF loan. Uh, and so uh, the IMF broke this rule when it uh, uh, it lent uh, to Greece after 2010 and a lot of the staff uh, left the IMF they protested uh, the IMF board said wait a minute how can you lend this money to Greece to pay German banks and French banks and English banks uh, and all of a sudden you bail out the bondholders you bail out the bankers and uh, uh, there's no way Greece can pay this is uh, crazy and uh, the IMF at that point overruled it by saying, well, we're going to pass a new uh, rule, and that is uh, systemic uh, risk loans, that the IMF can uh, violate its Articles of Agreement and lend to any country if uh, failure to repay loan would be a systemic risk. And uh, the definition of systemic risk is a bondholder losing more than one dollar. That if any bondholder anywhere in the world loses more than a dollar, that would be a disaster to the system. That essentially you could say only the 99% have to lose. Uh, in order to prevent uh, the 1% of the economy, in order to prevent bondholders and banks from losing, the IMF will back the entire wrecking of an economy, the smashing of an economy, the carving up of the government, the overriding of democracy in order to uh, support the bankers. Uh, That rule, by the way, uh, just a a few days ago, on January 29th, uh, the IMF finally uh, uh, negated that rule, uh, saying that, okay, we're not going to use that uh, excuse anymore. Uh, But another element of the IMF Articles of Agreement was it's not supposed to lend to a borrower at war uh and for one obvious reason if a country's at war especially if it's in a civil war bombing its export sector then ob- how on earth can Ukraine ever uh, uh obtain the money to uh, pay a foreign debt, if most of the exports were to Russia, and uh, the uh, attack on uh, the Donbass and the uh, eastern Ukraine has uh, uh, destroyed the export industry, so uh, the United States said, "No, we're going to make the loan to Ukraine," and uh, uh, the managing director said, I hope uh, Ukraine doesn't spend it to go to war. Well, the very next day, uh, Poroshenko came out and said, thank God we have the loan. Now uh, we're going to give $1.5 billion to uh, one of our kleptocrats. We're going to give it to our big bankers. And they immediately moved it offshore. And uh, he said, now we can afford to go to war. So uh, you have the IMF quite obviously uh, violating it. And then the fourth rule is the IMF isn't supposed to lend to a country that has little likelihood of carrying out the austerity program. Uh, They're called conditionalities, uh, uh, which involve crushing uh, democratic opposition in a totalitarian manner. Well... Ukraine is uh, cutting back pensions. It's imposing austerity, but there's very little chance of the country surviving as a democracy. So the United States basically came in and said, well, we're no longer backing democracies. We're dropping the pretense. We know that in the 1960s and 70s, we backed dictatorships in Latin America. Uh, We backed uh, the overthrow of Alende and Shelley. Uh, no more democracy in Ukraine. We do lend to dictatorships. The IMF will lend to countries at war. It will lend to the countries that cannot pay uh, as long as the countries do what we want and uh, pay our banks, but don't pay Russian banks and don't pay the BRICS banks.
0: I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show... The new global financial cold war. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, Michael, you've already begun to answer this question, but maybe we can get a little clarification on it. Russia's National Wealth Fund made a loan to the Ukraine. You've brought this up. Uh, This Russian loan was protected by IMF lending practice, and the bonds were registered under London's creditor-oriented rules and courts. Describe how the original structure of post-World War II sovereign lending practices were protected by IMF and World Bank rules.
1: Uh, The IMF said it would not make a loan to a country that uh, owed money uh, or was in default of a loan to any government. Uh, that did not renegotiate uh, in good faith uh, its loan with the foreign government. Well, Ukraine owed money to uh, the Russian sovereign wealth fund, so that obviously uh, was a government uh, organization, and uh, the Russian loan was made on uh, concessionary terms. Uh, but it also had protections because it was a sovereign wealth fund. It uh, protected itself by registering uh, the loan in England, uh, and there's been quite a bit of debate uh, in Russia. Can uh, and Ukraine avoid paying Russia and uh, still uh, not owe any money? And uh, all during last year, uh, the U.S. Treasury uh, and U.S. bankers had a long discussion about, well, how can Ukraine default and uh, still be able to qualify? For loans from the IMF. Well, we answered that already. The IMF rules were changed, so uh, it can make loans. And remember, the European Union and uh, international banks usually will not join in a loan to a country or make loans to a country that the IMF doesn't uh, uh, also join uh, in uh, the loans and, uh, to a country not in good standing with the IMF. So, uh, all of a sudden, uh, all of this has changed and instead of protecting the system of loans among governments, the IMF said, we're only protecting loans to the dollar area. We're not protecting uh, loans to governments that the United States uh, doesn't like, which could be anybody that doesn't follow neoliberal policies. So uh, basically, the United States fought to remove uh, Russia's legal ability to collect the $3 billion that uh, Ukraine owed. And there was a discussion, well, maybe uh, Ukraine can call it an odious debt, because anything owed to Russia is odious, because Russia's an odious country. Uh, And so you had Obama come and say, uh, Putin is a uh, kleptocrat and is corrupt, without giving any indication of how he was corrupt, and as if for the first time in uh, 50 years here, America's lent uh, to every corrupt uh, dictator in uh, Latin America, in Africa in asia and it's never called another head of state corrupt the first person that's called corrupt is uh... the russian uh... leader putin without any indication of well where where are these offshore bank accounts he has can you give us some details without any details at all such as uh... every reporter's been able to get on uh... uh the corrupt uh... uh US puppets from penoshet uh... down through uh, Tony Blair and uh, you know other uh, people it's just amazing that uh the US essentially is trying to say well we're splitting the whole legal system the whole system of international law we're going to have an excuse uh not to pay and then uh the idea is that well at least if uh Ukraine realizes it will lose uh, any attempt not to pay Russia through the British courts where the bonds are uh, registered, uh, which are very uh, creditor oriented, as you can imagine, because Britain was a creditor nation. But uh, somehow at least they can tie it up, and they think that, well, with oil now below $30 uh, a barrel and uh, with uh, Russia needing money, maybe we can just starve Russia into uh, submitting uh, to the U.S. uh, dictates. uh. And this is a crazy idea, because Russia obviously is not going to uh, surrender. And uh, you had a few days ago Foreign Minister Lavrov saying, well, I guess we've got to rethink our relationship with the West. Uh, it's obvious the West uh, doesn't want unity, and uh, we've got to rethink our relationship with uh, Europe. If Europe really decides that it wants to uh, be uh, the 51st state of America and not push its own uh, economic interests, but push interests of uh, the United States, then I guess uh, we've got to turn eastward towards uh, China and towards uh, the BRICS. Too bad, it could have been a nice mutual prosperity relationship.
0: Well, you've obviously titled your article, The IMF Changes Its Rules to Isolate China and Russia, because that's what they're doing. The whole purpose behind these rule changes is to isolate China and Russia. Now, China and Russia were cooperating with the IMF uh, and the World Bank, weren't they?
1: Yes, they were, and uh, the real objective of all this was China. For three years, the United States has been discussing very openly how can we isolate China. We don't want it to be another power. It's okay if the Chinese labor works at very low prices to supply Walmart with uh, uh, low-priced uh, exports, but we don't want China to be an independent country. How can we uh, fight against China? Well, China's been able to... Uh, give American investors and American uh, importers enough of a common interest that uh, they've been able to prevent uh, the U.S. government from uh, intensifying the Cold War against China. But Russia doesn't have uh, all of that uh, much leverage offering uh, the West uh, ways to get uh, rich, especially since they threw Khodorkovsky in jail after he uh, tried to sell all of uh, uh, the the Russian oil uh, mineral wealth to Exxon at a huge price that would have essentially taken Russian oil out of the uh, national patrimony. So, uh you you have a situation where China wants to make its uh, currency part of uh, the global currency uh, basket of the IMF. It wants to establish the yen on the same uh, status as the dollar so that it can avoid having to rely on American banks for its export trade, for its domestic credit creation. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Around 1992 and 1993, uh, the American neoliberals who went to Russia convinced Russia that they actually needed to hold U.S. dollars as backing for their domestic ruble currency. And since they didn't have many U.S. dollars, being Russia, the result was a deflation that uh, ended up deindustrializing most of Russia. Well, obviously, uh, there was no need at all for Russia to borrow in a foreign currency to make domestic expenses on uh, its own labor and its own industry. Well, same thing with China. Uh, They want to uh, be free of any reliance on the dollar for anything except uh, what they need uh, to import from the United States or to defend the currency against raids by, uh, say, George Soros, who said he expects uh, the end to go down, and uh, uh, that's sort of a sign to uh, currency raiders to try to profiteer by driving the Chinese uh, currency down. The Chinese are trying to free themselves from any uh, interconnections to the dollar orbit except to get dollars that they need to import uh, things from the United States, which uh, I guess they are not very much, except for maybe movies.
0: Now, you mentioned four of its own rules that the IMF broke in making loans to Ukraine. Now, you mentioned these four rules, and I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind just very briefly stating what the four broken rules are so that people can kind of get their head around this.
1: One rule is not to lend to a country that has no visible means of paying back the loan. That's the No More Argentina rule. The second rule is not to lend to a country that repudiates its debt to official creditors, meaning a country that won't pay, uh, that it owes to another government. Uh, So that's how the IMF was an enforcer of uh, the creditor cartel. The third rule is not to lend to a country at war. Ukraine's at war. It's at a civil war with the East. And the fourth rule is not to lend to a country that is not going to uh, impose the IMF austerity conditionalities that are meant to smash it uh, so poor that it ends up uh, bankrupt and having to sell off uh, and privatize its natural resources. So all these rules are being broken. The Ukraine has not begun to uh, sell off its... Uh, Uh, natural uh, resources yet, and there's uh, some argument uh, uh, going on, because the kleptocrats want to hold on to them, and the kleptocrats want to make the same deal that the Russian kleptocrats made in the early 90s. They'll sell maybe 25 percent of their monopoly to the uh, U.S. buyers, list on the U.S. Stock Exchange, let the U.S. Stock Exchange bid it up, and uh, then they'll uh, sell their uh, 75 percent and uh, take the payment in London or New York or wherever and uh, essentially take all the money out of Ukraine, leaving Ukraine with no money at all uh, in the bank, but with uh, owing an enormous amount of uh, money every year for uh, the transmission of profits on agricultural land and economic rents extracted from the roads and gas and other uh, infrastructure that's sold off.
0: You say that at issue, that is between the East and the West, is a philosophy of development. How does development differ in the two systems?
1: The uh, neoliberal American uh, philosophy of development is a uh, Orwellian term for the absence of development, to reverse development. The, the neoliberal plan is uh, you're going to develop into a post-industrial society, and by post-industrial they mean rolling back uh, the uh, uh, history to feudalism. Instead of the government taking the lead and providing basic services at a low price to enable you to become a competitive uh, economy, uh, you're going to take uh, the roads and uh basic uh, energy system, electricity, sewer, water, and uh, you're going to sell it, and uh, the new buyers are going to charge whatever the market will bear. Well, this is going to impoverish the country. It's going to be exactly the opposite of uh, what development economics was taught uh, when I went to school 50 years ago and what was uh, taught uh, and expected from the 19th century through most of the 20th century.
0: What kind of scenario have the U.S. State Department and Treasury officials been discussing for more than a year as a way of fighting back against Chinese and Russian infrastructure loans to other countries? I think you've started, you've talked a little bit about this already.
1: Uh, Only by uh, not making loans themselves. Uh, The United States did not uh, join the AIIB and uh, indeed tried to discourage uh, other countries uh, from joining. Uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, hand-wringing when England uh, joined uh, the AIAB and uh, other countries were trying to do it. The United States, essentially, is trying to uh, create an iron curtain separating the bricks from the uh, U.S. Uh, dollar orbit. It's a financial curtain. It's not an iron curtain. It's an electronic, electronic curtain.
0: Well, then, I think, didn't you uh, uh, write in your article... That the IMF would go ahead and loan to countries and tell them that they wouldn't have to repay their loans to China or Russia, that they could take money from the IMF. Well,
1: there's no vehicle. In order to, co- uh, they didn't tell countries you don't have to repay. Uh, the problem is there has to be an international court, there has to be an enforcement vehicle. For instance, uh, you have a lot of the vulture funds claiming that Argentina uh owes the money uh on uh the vulture funds uh, uh purchase of Argentine bonds. But they haven't been able to collect. Uh they uh were able to get I think Nigeria, an African country to grab uh, one of the uh Argentine training uh boats uh but then, uh, because it was government property, the uh, uh, country was uh, directed to release it. Uh, suppose a country owes money to another country. How can you collect unless there's an international court and an enforcement system? The IMF and the World Bank were part of that enforcement system, and now they're saying, no, we're not going to be part of that anymore. We're only working uh, for the U.S. State Department and Pentagon. And if, uh, the Pentagon... Uh, tells uh, the IMF it's okay, they don't have to pay Russia or China, then uh, they don't have to pay so uh, all of a sudden uh, that's broken up what what seemed to be a global order uh, that was created after World War II that's all been changed now the world is being split into two halves uh, the U.S. orbit and countries that the U.S. cannot control and whose uh, officials are not on the U.S. payroll so to speak
0: I'm speaking with financial economist and historian, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, the new global financial cold war. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. You describe this as a tectonic geopolitical shift that will be fought with all the power of an American century inquisition. What do you mean by inquisition?
1: Well, meaning... Uh dirty tricks. Uh, uh, Obama has said, we're not going to invade another country because uh, no country is really able to mobilize uh, things. Uh, he said, we can go targeted assassination. So the U.S. is uh, doing essentially what uh, uh, Germany did in the 30s. Uh, uh, you you uh, work within other governments to try to bribe uh, to get them to uh, to promote uh, people who in foreign countries who work uh, for the United States, you want to make sure that uh, in in England, for instance, that someone like Tony Blair becomes prime minister who will do whatever he's told uh, by the U.S. You want to make sure that uh, if a country uh, tries to be independent, like Chile did, uh, you come in and you kill the president. Uh, and if you have countries that want land reform in uh, an alternative to America, you did what America did. You start. To uh, Operation Condor, and you, uh, you kill uh, 10,000 professors, land reformers, and union leaders. Uh, Essentially, it's a terrorist uh, uh, group. And by Inquisition, you use uh, uh, the American uh, uh, Foreign Legion, ISIS, uh, which uh, you send ISIS into whatever country you want to uh, smash and grab.
0: You write that, uh, quote, we have American Pentagon capitalism with financial bubbles deteriorating into a polarized rentier economy and a resurgence of old-fashioned imperialism. If and when a break comes, it will not be marginal, but a seismic geopolitical shift, unquote. What are your thoughts on the coming breakup of the post-World War II dollarized global financial system. What do you think it will look like?
1: Well, uh, essentially, other countries are going to try to get rich in the same way that the United States tried to get rich, and that is by promoting uh, domestic prosperity, a domestic market, uh subsidize uh, domestic research and development, just like the United States has subsidized uh high technology. Uh and uh, you try to uh prevent uh rent seeking. In other words, you try to prevent uh... special privileges uh... whether they're patent privileges or their ownership of uh... like uh... uh... cable uh... tv systems you try to prevent uh... super profits excess profits or economic rent uh... unearned income you you want uh, people to be able to earn uh, in a way that reflects their contribution to production, and you want to uh, uplift uh, the quality of labor. You want to educate your labor force. You want to rise them into a modern technological labor force. All this takes government subsidy, and it takes... Uh, a mixed economy of government and uh, the uh, private sector where the government picks up most of the external economies uh... uh... the infrastructure uh... costs in order to uh... make the uh... private sector able to compete more so other countries are going to do just what the united states did uh... since the civil war uh... they'll be protectionist uh... they will try to uh upgrade the quality of their labor, they will upgrade the quality of their agriculture, they will uh, promote high-technology industry, they'll promote uh, public health care and uh, uh, basic needs uh, at a very low expense. Uh, they'll essentially achieve what uh, social democracy and uh, the progressive era uh, set out to achieve a century ago, and uh, which has now been rejected by the United States and Europe.
0: Uh, Yes. In your article, you've you've written that the result is to split the world into pro-U.S. economies going neoliberal and economies maintaining public investment in infrastructure and what used to be viewed as progressive capitalism.
1: Uh, I think when uh, the Soviet Union fell apart uh, and Russia and other countries invited US advisers over they were under the impression that uh the advisers were going to help them develop in the same way that the United States had developed and become as prosperous a consumer economy and a productive industrial economy as the United States was and what they didn't realize is that the United States had no intention at all of uh, helping them get rich the way the United States did the advisers came in uh to smash and grab. They mean to de industrialize Russia, to de industrialize Latvia and uh, to really pull all the connecting links out of the old Soviet Union and uh, to turn Russia back into uh, a raw materials uh, supplier and really to turn uh, the former Soviet uh, states into third-world economies. And the result was uh, not only poverty but mass immigration. Uh, You can look at Latvia, for instance, as an example that is applauded as uh, the Baltic miracle, the success story, and the miracle is that wages have been going down steadily for the last uh, decade, that about uh, 10 to 20% of the population has left, mainly working-age population. Uh, same thing in Russia. Much of Russia's uh, uh, technically trained population, engineers and others, uh, came to the United States and uh, helped uh, United States industrialization as Russia was neoliberalized, but it didn't help uh, Russian industrialization at all.
0: And... What about the post-2010 IMF loan packages to Greece? Now, are they an instance of uh, the IMF breaking its own rules or not?
1: Well, that was when uh, the debate within the IMF occurred over the uh, no more Argentina's rules. You don't make a loan to a country with no visible ability to repay. Uh, This is what my book, uh, Killing the Host, is about. I have three chapters on uh, Greece as uh, an example of uh, how uh, the IMF is... In the past, the IMF would only smash up uh, third-world countries, mainly for U.S. uh, mineral companies and other exporters. Uh, But Greece was really the first European country that the IMF came in, explicitly to smash up and uh, uh, break in order to privatize it. Uh, I have one chapter on Latvia also, so this, this gets into the topic that my Killing the Host is all about.
0: You write that Dominique Strauss-Kahn backed the hardline U.S.-European central bank position regarding Greece. So did Christine Lagarde in 2015, overriding staff protests.
1: Within the IMF, uh, the the IMF staff had said, don't make the loan to Greece, it can't pay. But then uh, Strauss-Kahn met with uh, the French, and he's French, and he wanted to run uh, for the French presidency. And uh, the uh, French president uh, at the time said, look, you can't possibly be a politician in France if uh, you're head of the IMF and uh, you let uh, Greece default on its bonds, there go the uh, uh, the French banks. We're going to go under if the IMF doesn't bail us out. And then uh, President Obama uh, went to uh, The Group of Twenty meeting uh, uh, after uh, Tim Geithner, the Treasury Secretary, uh, had had, uh, been on the phone with Europe and said, "Wait a minute! If uh, Greece doesn't pay the uh, French and German and uh, bondholders, the American banks have made huge bets, and the American banks will go under. And if the American banks will go under, then uh, the European banks will go under. So even though it's true that you know that Greece can't pay, the whole system uh, will go down. Meaning that American banks will lose more." more than one dollar and we can't let american gamblers you know they've all taken a bet on this horse race uh... they can't lose a penny on this uh... it's better that you uh... break up greece even break up europe we're willing to smash europe as long as we don't lose one penny because one penny to america is equal to all the wealth you have in europe and all of your population that's the enormous uh, uh... asymmetry of uh, the egotism of the U.S., the, uh, the kind of naked uh, greed that they're willing to smash the IMF, to smash Greece, to smash European integration, just so uh, Goldman Sachs and the Wall Street, five Wall Street banks that had made a bets that Greece would pay, wouldn't lose uh, on that horse race. So uh, that led uh, the head of the European section of the IMF to resign. Uh, she went to Canada, I think, and uh, uh, the Canadians uh, published her uh, uh, whistleblowing on there. I mean, it just uh, it destroyed uh, the IMF already at that time, even before the Ukrainian crisis.
0: You've written that the reason for smashing Greece's economy was to deter. Podemos in Spain and similar movements in Italy and Portugal from pursuing national prosperity instead of Eurozone austerity. Do you think that was an important component? (laughs)
1: That was uh, at the time. uh, uh, That certainly what the European uh, uh, Central Bank said was critical. They said we cannot let Syriza win. And uh, uh, the Finance Minister of Greece, Yanis Varoufakis, said that uh, he was told that uh, while meeting with the IMF and the Europeans, that democracy doesn't matter. Uh, It doesn't matter what uh the people voted for that uh, uh Greece had to uh, pay the debts that its previous uh corrupt uh governments uh had agreed to And uh, in the Financial Times and almost all the international press, you had a discussion, wait a minute, if they write down Greece's debt just because uh, Greece uh, will be wrecked otherwise, then they're going to have to write down the debt of uh, uh, Italy, they're going to have to write down the debt of Spain, and they're going to have to write down the debt of Portugal, and uh, the whole uh, debt collection system uh, will go. Uh, either, Either we save the banks or we save the economy. And uh, the IMF and the United States State Department said, save the banks, not the economy. And that's exactly what Obama did in the United States when he bailed out the banks in 2008 and did not uh, write down the debts, uh, did not break up the banks. Uh, uh, That's why Bernie Sanders uh, running uh, today. So uh, essentially, the US orbit uh, says save the banks, not the economy. And the problem is that uh, the interest bearing debt grows exponentially. Any rate of interest is a doubling time. So the, the uh, debt is going to grow and grow exponentially, and that means you're going to have to impose deeper and deeper austerity. And every uh, economy that you impose this austerity on is going to react like Russia or Latvia or Greece. There's going to be emigration, There's going to be a decline in the birth rate. There's going to be a rise in the death rate. Uh, There's going to be spread of disease. Uh, There's going to be a shrinking market uh, and essentially falling apart. And uh, the struggle of our time is going to be whether you save the banks or the economy. In the end, the banks can't be saved because most debts are unpayable. And uh, the United States said, well, they may be unpayable out of current earnings and out of current exports, But uh, there's still room to pay if you sell off the public domain to the creditors. And so what you're having now is a vast global foreclosure uh, process where the creditors and the bondholders uh, are taking their payment in the form of uh, domestic roads, transport system, communications, water and sewer, all the infrastructure. And uh, that is what is leading to, uh, that's why I call this neo-feudalism. It's leading, uh, rolling back industrial capitalism. It's rolling back of the growth in markets to uh, economic shrinkage and neo-feudalism, and that's what a rentier economy is. It's a rent extraction economy, not an economy earning profits by producing uh, more and hiring labor to uh, uh, produce and uh, expand the economy. It's the reverse of the dynamic uh, of uh, uh, industrial capitalism as everyone thought of it a century ago.
0: Michael Hudson, thank you very much.
1: Well, it's always great to be on your show, and I'm glad you're back, Bonnie. Something happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What it is
0: ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. I've been speaking with Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show has been the new global financial cold war. Dr. Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend a Wall Street financial analyst and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri-Kansas City. His 1972 book, Super-Imperialism, the Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. He is also author of Trade, Development, and Foreign Debt, and The Myth of Aid, among many others. His latest book is Killing the Host. How Financial Parasites and Debt Destroy the Global Economy. Dr. Hudson acts as an economic advisor to governments worldwide, including Iceland, Latvia, and China, on finance and tax law. Visit his website at michael-hudson.com. That's michael-hudson.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yarrow Mako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at GB Radio. These are some
2: serious times that we live in, G, and our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? your own cypher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life you know what i'm saying look what inside yourself for peace give thanks live life and release you dig me you got me